0: Welcome to Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. Today on the program, I have Madam Gandhi, who is playing Bottle Rock here at Napa uh, at the end of May. Um, We'll get into that in just a little bit. Uh, She has a trilogy of EPs that we uh, talk about, including the new one that she's working on called Vibrations, which has an amazing story behind it. Um, And leading up to that, her other EPs, Voices and Visions, um and um also a lot of her other great work that she's done over the uh the years and how she got into music um i i am solo on this pod today i i did have the opportunity to uh bring Jens in he gave me the option to actually have him on the podcast uh, uh but Um, I chose to see him in person and uh, and and grab a bite with him. Instead, his time is super limited right now. So I'm running solo with a a lot of these podcasts. Um, And my time is freaking strapped as well. So getting those to line up is uh, a pretty challenging thing. Um, I talked about on the program about how um, I bought my first home in Vacaville. I'm in the process of moving. The house is pretty empty uh, at this point, except for the essentials a desk to work from, a patio table. I don't even have a dining room table here anymore. I have a couch, a television, a bed, uh, and then my son's bed. My daughter doesn't actually have her bed here because she's been sleeping on a, uh, like a cot sort of situation, uh, a foldable cot uh, in the closet under the stairs, which was emptied out. uh, And she's been doing that for like three weeks. And she loves it. She loves the confined spaces. It's not uh, me putting her in the closet. She's had uh, her, uh, She has a completely usable room to be able to sleep on. And she took her own bed uh, apart and put it in the garage, which was assigned to me, to take it to the new house. So that's the current living situation. I have a couple more weeks here uh, in Napa where I'm going to be able to enjoy this view here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. Uh, spin. Yeah, the vineyard view. Uh, I'm going to miss it. I'm gonna miss it, Um, just uh, calling it like it is. Um, And uh, it's gonna be a big change, but I'm also kind of excited about the new house and the opportunities that come with it. Um, Sprinklers being broken as I move in and needing to figure out how to replace those uh, and all the things that come along with homeownership painting my son's bedroom. I did that, I painted his room blue, then went over it, uh, it and touched it up. So his room is good to go. Um, hopefully he likes the blue. It's a little bit dark, but, um, but I think he'll dig it. Uh, so that worked out okay. It took probably seven hours all in for me to paint the whole room. Um, and I'm glad I didn't go with primer, doing a layer of primer first, because that would just be even more exhausting to have to uh, paint the whole thing twice so uh so got through that and this past weekend uh rented a 20 20 foot uh u-haul i reserved it two and a half months ahead of time and then surprise uh it didn't uh it wasn't ready it wasn't available when i needed to pick it up so u-haul upgraded me to a uh, 26 foot u-haul which is like a semi and I've, I've driven one before. I drove one when I was moving into this house eight years ago. So, uh, so I was fairly comfortable maneuvering it. But I did need my buddy Joe to navigate with me uh, to uh, be able to get, help me get into the gas station and back out of the driveway and, uh, and other certain things. So uh, there was one point where I was like an inch away from hitting this water mine that stuck out of the ground on uh, the property I live on. Stuck out of the ground, like two feet high. And I was a straight inch from it. So I just, I stopped the car until Joe got here and uh, got him on the phone and from the cab had him direct me about how to uh, get out of that sticky situation. I'm so glad I didn't take out the the water main. That would have been shitty, but got everything out of my garage, which I'd been loading things into the garage is completely empty now uh, and the house is getting there. So I have one more moving truck coming in a couple of weeks that I'm going to fill up and doing it on my own, you know? Don't need movers, uh, getting a little help from family and friends to to load up. But as far as the packing, the unpacking, the getting things where they're going, that's all me. And it's it's exhausting. It's exhausting, moving is exhausting. And I'm so glad I haven't had to do it for eight years. Uh, And I've been able to stay here for this long. So next place will be at least 11 until uh, both of the kids are done with high school. Uh, and uh, and out because I don't want to move again until it's uh, absolutely time. So that's the plan. That's the plan with the move. Um, other news as well. This weekend is the century ride uh, that Joe and I are doing—a uh, hundred-mile bike ride uh, in the um, in the wine country. And there's going to be a bunch of hills, uh, so I'll have to get ready for that. The biggest hill is at mile 19, so I know exactly where to. Where my energy is going to be put, um, and it's early in the morning. It starts at six thirty, so we need to leave Napa by four thirty to get there and uh, and get all checked in and everything. Uh, it's a little daunting. The biggest ride we uh, did was sixty two miles, uh, and uh, and the most recent ride we did was forty five. It's going to be tiring. We're going to be wiped, but I'm assured that there's beer at the finish line, a complimentary beer with my tag, uh, so uh that gives me something to look forward to throughout the race uh and uh and enjoy uh it'll be well earned and well worth it uh, to to cross that finish line and something that we can check off our books uh, our list as far as working up to this point we both put in a, a good amount of work uh writing almost every week um and building up longer and longer rides over the past couple of months so um i'm proud of where we've come and we never would have thought we'd be even possible to, to ride a hundred miles. I couldn't even, you know, just saying it out loud makes me think about, okay, is, how has that even happened, right? It's a hundred miles is so far. That's a quarter of the way to LA. Uh, and it should take us about six and a half hours, I imagine, to do the whole thing with four sh- short little breaks in, uh, mixed in there. So. Um, so that's what's going on in my world. Uh, on the uh, next pod, I will update on uh, on the Century and let the audience know how it goes. Um, but before we get into uh, Madame Gandhi, I do want to uh, talk about Bottle Rock. Madame Gandhi is playing Bottle Rock, uh, uh, and so you have an opportunity to see her. I believe she's playing Friday uh, and uh, opening up the, the festival uh, in a pretty early uh, set, which is pretty cool. I'm going to try and get there and check it out. Um, and. There's a number of other bands that are are playing as well. And so we could take a look at the the lineup here. Um, Friday, the headliners are Metallica and Kygo. Uh, I've seen Metallica a handful of times and they put on a freaking kick-ass show. Uh, So looking forward to seeing them again. Uh, I didn't know that I would see them again because I've seen them a handful of times and I wasn't gonna seek it out, but I'm excited that they're playing Bottle Rock and I'll get a chance to see them. Um, Who else? Uh, Fantastic, Fantastic Negrito is uh, pretty cool. Might check uh, them out. Atlas Genius is awesome. Uh, I was Supposed to interview them and that, but that got turned down. Um, and so that's, that's Friday, a couple bands that I'm um, into checking out. Saturday, 21 pilots. I saw them years ago, a, a good handful of years ago, I think. And so their stage show I'm sure is going to be epic, but they're uh, also the Black Crozier headlining. Uh, co-headlining with 21 Pilots. So both are playing and uh, and I might have to divide and conquer my time because I, I dig the Black Crows too. Uh, I saw them open for Tom Petty in 2005, I believe. Uh, and it's great that they're back together and would be cool to see them again. Um, Mount uh, Westmore, uh, now uh, this, that's a monster lineup with Snoop Dogg, Ice Cube, E40 and Two Short uh, uh, all together. They're playing the night before at the Oakland Arena. Uh, so they're, they're doing a couple of big Bay Area shows. Um, might check them out if I'm able to. Silver Some Pickups, really great. Might be on the program actually uh, tying into this uh, Bottle Rock coverage. We'll see about that. No guarantees. Um, who else? Brother Comatose, also possibly going to be on the uh, program. Uh, might be interviewing them from Bottle Rock. Some of our content will be um on the tail end of the bottle rock festival um after it's over with uh, with some of the content that we've got from the the festival so you look forward oh that's look forward to i'm sure we'll do an episode with um, a lot of bottle rock performances as well like we uh, did last year um and who else we got uh sunday that takes us to pink uh, and Luke Combs. I'm not a country dude, so I'm skipping Luke. I have a couple of friends from out of town coming in uh, to see Pink, so I'm sure I'll be hanging with them to check her out. Um, Bleachers, yes, yes, Bleachers, love Bleachers. One of my favorite bands. So excited to see them again. Not the biggest fan of their new album, but I should give it another couple of listens uh, before their show. Michael Franti always puts on an amazing set, so I'm gonna try and catch him if I can, um, and then uh who else um uh elijah and the De- delusionals i think we're gonna have them on the the program uh taipei houston uh we are set to have them on the program as well most likely uh from bottle rock uh lots of great music and coming to napa uh here at the end of uh at the end of may uh so looking forward to uh the bottle rock festival and biking uh biking is the best way to go uh Live a couple miles away as of now, so I'll I'll have an empty house here, completely mm-hmm. empty, uh, and uh, and just be sleeping on an air mattress uh, and biking over to Boulder Rock. It's gonna be great. Um, thinking, there's anything else I need to hit before we uh, bring our guest in. I don't think so. I think that's good for for now. And uh, it's time to bring Madam Gandhi in. So Madam Gandhi, uh, come on in. Well, well, Karen, let's start out. Um, how was your show last night? You, put, you had a show in Oakland, right?
1: I did. I did kind of like a hybrid uh, drama and DJ set over at Crybaby Oakland last night. And Crybaby is the brainchild of a dear friend of mine, Jesse Titsworth, out of D.C. And I used to play at his venue in on U Street in Washington D.C. ten years ago. And he's really known for taking spaces and building out incredible sonic infrastructures. And so you know, DJing my music, DJing in general in a place where like the ground rumbles and like the sound sounds like diamonds. Like it's just super pristine. Um, everyone really felt the difference. So I had an awesome time. It's really fun to play in venues that are DJ centric because usually as live musicians, we play in, you know, in venues that are meant for live
0: music. So there's benefits to both. Yeah. So how do you balance that DJing and then, uh, and then also the drum portion? What does that look like for you?
1: So I'll spin music that has like a strong percussive that has space for a strong percussive element. So, anywhere in the like between 70 and, you know, 1 108 is kind of this sweet spot of like global music, whether it's Pangra um, music from India or Brazilian samba and, and kind of baile funk trap music, um, music from you know obviously reggaeton, mumbaton. Um, I love soloing on the bongos and congas and cowbells and cymbals, uh, you know, in the in the pocket. So I think that's something that also comes out of my DC upbringing, sitting in with Thievery Corporation, sitting in with DJs at their venue You know, over a decade ago. Uh, drumming with a DJ is something that makes people dance even more so and, and really brings like a live human feel to, to a night.
0: Yeah. T- tell me about your, your history with drumming. Where did you learn to, to drum? How did you pick that up?
1: I grew up in New York City and I had two fairly traditional Indian parents, but I loved music. And I say, but because obviously what was encouraged in our household was leadership and being the best student and you know things on a far more, let's say traditional side. Uh, but I loved it all. I loved being a good student. I loved being a quote unquote leader. I loved public speaking and I loved music. You know, And when I discovered the drums at a summer camp in Maine one summer, uh, I was super young. I was like in middle school and I just fell in love with it. I was good at it at the end of the summer camp. The, the owner of the camp was like putting me on stage, being like, look at what can happen in just one summer, you know, like Kieran learned the drums here. Like he was already like claiming me, you know, and it only been two months of me learning. So I think it was one of those things where it was just a natural, like, yep, this is my thing. I'm obsessed with the drums, I'm good at it. And and I never stopped since then.
0: Yeah, and so you grew up in uh, New York and India, right? That's right. Um, (laughs) Most of my childhood
1: was spent in Manhattan, uh, in Chelsea and in the Upper East Side. Or in in Murray Hill, rather in the Upper East Side, and then three years of my life, uh, I lived in Mumbai, India.
0: And and so musically, uh, and being someone who's such a fan of music, how did how did that kind of incorporate into your upbringing? Like, what did you take from New York, and uh, and also uh, what did you learn from India?
1: I in New York City, you have access to everybody. You know, you have access to. Um, bands that are coming through the city you have access to all the radio stations. And so I felt like as a young person I was always going out to concerts. Like once I discovered that I can go to concerts myself at age like 14, 15, 16 and they just like put big X's on your hand so that it says that you're on 21 but they'll still let you in. that was a game changer, you know And because I was young, I kind of would get away with more in the sense that I would go like to the backstage area and I'd be like, oh no, no, I'm just his daughter and they would let me in, you know? Or like, oh, no, 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 I was just um, I'm a student, you know? And then I would go backstage and like meet the drummer of TV on the radio, you know? And just like hang out with them or uh, you, like, it just wasn't, it was a time where I knew what I needed to say. And when I would get backstage, I would just like learn and ask questions and observe. And I don't know, I didn't really feel like a fan. Like I felt more like these are my people and I wanna learn how to be more like my people. It was just so simple to me. So that was New York City. I would say New York City had access, culture, ability to participate as a young person, you know? And I, I wasn't much of a troublemaker. I was a bit more mature. So it was easy for me to like hang in those spaces and not be needy or needing anything or whatever. Um, and then in India, India's music, whether you're looking at the Bollywood culture or classical, there's a lot of joy. There's a lot of emotion. There's a lot of color. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of dance. There's a lot of amazing outfits, you know? And so I think that's where India's influence comes into play because I'm always wearing bright colors. I'm always talking about joy. I'm always celebrating like the full range of human
0: emotion. Uh, So
1: these these are kind of the two hybrid experiences that I had in my childhood.
0: I'm glad you mentioned color, because one thing I wanted to ask you about is yellow. I see a big presence of yellow. I mean, obviously now we're talking face to face, but also through a lot of your, you know, um, your social media and, you know, and how you incorporate yourself publicly. Tell me about that.
1: You know, my name, my first name is Kiran. And in Hindi or in Sanskrit, Kiran means ray of sunlight, you know, ray of light. And since I was a kid, I've always been drawn to warm colors, yellows, oranges, reds, and I think it's also a value system. It reminds me to walk in light, in truth, in warmth, in positivity, in kindness. And I do see those as leading from my feminine. I find the feminine to lead from the peacekeeping, the empathetic. And so often, whether it's looking at capitalism or business, we strive uh, according to more masculine values, which we need. You know, There's a time and place for both kind of genders to, to lead, but we're in such a lopsided space where the masculine dominates. And so the the yellow for me has so many has so many levels it's a it's a personal compass for me as a human in my private day to day interactions to walk in integrity, but it's also a very kind of public message of what does it look like when we bring more of a healthy feminine uh, leadership dynamic into
0: the public sphere? yeah uh, so to tell me a little bit about uh, starting to create music, when did you find that itch to start creating? <laughs> uh,
1: you know. It, I was my journey has been all over. I graduated Georgetown University as a young person. I was a math major, and my parents were urging me to go work in Obama's White House. You know, I was submitting the internship application. And I just couldn't get myself to do it. I had already done the mayor's internship. I had interned on on Capitol Hill and I was always so bored and unimpressed. You know, I just, it wasn't my thing. I would have to wear like these formal awkward suits to work and it wasn't, I wanted to wear a cool outfit and that just wasn't encouraged, you know? So I was like, I'm clearly not with my people. So I actually used my math major to get my first job out of college in the record business. And it happened to be at one of the world's biggest record labels called Interscope Records, which is home to Lady Gaga and the Black Eyed Peas and Eminem and, you know, Lana Del Rey. All the list goes on and on. Now, Olivia Rodrigo. and You know, the, the, list, the list is incredible. So I spent two years working at Interscope as a data analyst, studying patterns in Spotify streams and YouTube views. From there... I knew that I wanted to continue being on the business side, but more as a leader, maybe signing more activist bands or bands that were using their voice for good. So I thought if I had more business skills, I could be a leader on the music business side. So I applied to get into my MBA, an MBA program. I get into Harvard and I move out to Boston. At the same time as me starting my uh, Harvard MBA in 2013, I got called to go be the drummer on MIA's tour. And so this was a really incredible year for me because I was doing two of my passions at a top level. I was learning business at this prestigious school, which albeit is the breeding ground of the capitalist patriarchy as we know it. It literally is the feeding system, but sometimes you have to go to the belly of the beast to understand it. And uh, and then I was touring with an artist who I really believe uh, whose work is changing the world. So that was that was my first year at business school. My second year, there was no MIA tour, there was just me in school. And I was really underwhelmed. I felt like I had seen the world. I had played in front of sold out audiences. I knew what my potential was. And I would say, okay, well, is there anybody else I wanna drum for? Like, is that really the path? And, and it wasn't, I wanted to be uh, speaking. I wanted to be writing music. I wanted to be sharing. And I remember being in a yoga class and I thought to myself, man, I could go work at Spotify for six figures after this Harvard MBA. I could work at YouTube music. There's so many opportunities when you come out of this prestigious program. And all I wanted to do was tour and produce under my own artist name. And so I just followed that path. And in 2015, that's what I did and I never looked back.
0: So how did Madam Gandhi get uh, get created? How did that come about?
1: Uh, My last name is Gandhi. my instagram even before i was making my own music was always madame Gandhi because i wanted to keep my last name and i also wanted to celebrate you know feminine styles of leadership as i mentioned earlier and so that's where Madam came from and when i was asked to play my first show solo they were like hey well what's your artist name and i was like i i think it's just madame Gandhi i think it's just my instagram and so once again you know that was the first show that i played as an artist and I like having an artist name. I see a lot of artists today play under their real name. I feel like I'm a multidimensional person. So I like having a bit of an artist persona, if you will, or some separation between my authentic heart as Kieran and then the project that is like glossy and more organized and more thought out as a public like ready to go thing. I like to workshop things privately and almost graduate them up to the Madam Gandhi project, whether that's the merchandise we sell or the music that I'm writing or the, or the music videos. because I want to listen back to my own music and really have it be sincere and, and true. And I think I only put out music until I really believe what it is that I'm saying. And I feel it's bulletproof, you know, test it out. So that's how it, uh, how it was born.
0: Yeah. Um, So tell me, tell me about how the tour with MIA, how did that come about? What was the experience like for you?
1: Yeah, sure. I'm happy to talk about Mia, but that was also ten years ago. Let's talk about now, no? Mia was she's yeah. best. She's incredible, you know. And I think for any artist, it, it's such a joy for us to be able to learn from the greats. I would say that was the biggest lesson to really learn from a project that had a healthy balance of being organized and pro and top level, but then also like messy and last minute changes because of pres- being inspired in the moment. We would see outfits in a store and we would pull over and rechange the whole wardrobe for the night, you know, to be able to support a local designer, you know, things like that uh, is what I learned from kind of the punk rock nature mixed with the professionalism of of MIA's project. Uh, Shifting gears though, in the Madam Gandhi project, what I'm focused on right now is not only the feminism and the gender liberation that I've spoken about in the past six years of, of working on this project, but now after the pandemic, it's really evolved into how do I be the best person I can be to show up for community, to show up for changing the world? How can I walk in integrity? How can I take care of myself? So often when I open up my social media, the music industry is just partying. You know, It's, it's drinking alcohol, it's smoking, it's partying, it's talking about drugs and all these things. And you know, there's a time and a place, we all go through those phases out of curiosity, wanting to experience everything. But I also think it's important for us to be brave enough to say, I don't need anything. I wanna show up as myself. I wanna practice the difficult skill sets of not needing anything to achieve what it is that I'm trying to achieve. Folks talk about anxiety. Now I, have, I pass by billboards in LA and California, uh, you know, smoke this to cure your anxiety, you know, take this to cure your anxiety. All of us have anxiety. We live in this high, strong world. Even for myself, I have to look at it instead of, uh, you know, Soothing it with something like having sweets or food or, or whatever that you know is available to us. The real bravery is asking, why am I anxious? What is this about? Where is this coming from? What is the stem of it? So that we can address things more proactively. That's consciousness, that's awareness, that's bravery, that's fearlessness, that's doing the work. And you know, that's just one example. But the work that I'm doing now and the kind of lyrics that I'm singing now really challenge my audience to say how do we become healthier vessels of ourselves and bravely tackle our own challenges
0: to make the world a better place? Yeah. Um, so a lot of that, I'm, yeah, I'm sure, is built into Vibrations, which you've been working on for right. uh, for uh, for a bit now. I guess we can talk about that. I do want to also talk about your other albums yeah, that led up but- to that, because it's... It's important to know kind of what you learned in kind of that process you know yes. that led us there but but if you want to talk about now yeah w- what is vibrations How is it come about when is it when is it coming
1: yeah it's going to come out this fall i'm uh i'm probably three quarters of the way done with it i this album is a lover's album it's definitely sensual it's loving it's sexy it's vulnerable um, you know, as a Pisces, the two things that inspire me most are either like romantic and love feelings and, and wild emotions in one direction. And then my activism, you know, social change are things that I feel deeply and feel um, a radical spirit, you know, to, to talk about big issues. And I've done the past two albums more largely focused on my activism. And so this album coming out of the pandemic uh, I really leaned more into uh, into romance and 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 love and emotions um, in a more sensual context. So this album is is about that. And the first album was Voices, second was Visions, and this is Vibrations. I've always imagined the three as a trio. It's that's always been the plan. And so it's fun to kind of wrap up these three EPs and gear up for a longer form project. And when I work, you know, and I make new music, I kind of map it. I'm like, okay, where is this gonna go? So some songs belong on Vibrations, other songs belong on the long form album. And that's because I like designing listening experiences end-to-end for the for the listener, where they can just throw on a Madame Gandhi record and trust end-to-end that uh, it's something that they're gonna wanna keep playing and not, you know, go to the next next artist or next song in the playlist.
0: And the amazing thing about Vibrations also is this, isn't just done in a studio. You went to Antarctica and uh, to record Glaciers. You know, I, first of all, someone who's, I, I don't know that I've ever even seen a glacier, I don't, in real life, I, what, what does it sound like? What is that, how can you kind of describe the sound of a glacier and how that's incorporated into your album?
1: Last month, I went to Antarctica, really with an open heart and open spirit, not knowing what I was gonna capture. I just came back with hundreds of just beautiful, beautiful sounds. And the favorite sound that I did capture was after building an underwater microphone at Stanford, I put it underneath the ocean, underneath these um, rafts that we were using to go out into the glaciers safely. And it just sounds like life force energy. Like it sounds obviously like water, but it sounds like air bubbles being released. And I asked one of the marine biologists who was traveling with me, you know, what is that sound? And they were saying that's the sound of glaciers melting. These air bubbles have been trapped in these glaciers that are, um, that were on land for hundreds and hundreds of years, and when they go into the ocean that's when they start to melt because it's a lower te- it's a higher temperature and so I was just blown away at being able to capture this sound that's beautiful and tragic at the same time because it's it's the sound of climate change you know it's the sound of the planet getting warmer um, because of our bad behavior, but it's also the sound of life force energy it's the sound of water it's the sound of purity it's the sound of Um, uh, yeah of nature and that purity to me is such a subtle and healthy reminder to my audience and the music of of just coming back to ourselves not needing substances not needing things that are bad for us and just remembering that we are uh, a really divine part of nature you know it's an end-to-end cycle
0: yeah and you took a trip with your mom who's a wellness leader that's right my
1: mother is absolutely incredible and I had invited my whole family to join me in Antarctica but I knew it was just, I knew it was just gonna be my mom in the end, you know, cause she's a real adventurer. She and I travel really well together. She's really encouraging of me. She lets me be who I am. I think that's excellent parenting where you have this healthy balance between saying, yeah, I'm always gonna be there for you. I'm here, but also like go and be yourself. And so we had fun on the on the trip together. You know, we'd go and meet people together but then we'd also be separate. My mom is a go-getter. She gets up early. She's on the first raft out. I take my time. I like to make myself a matcha. I like to do a meditation. I like to make sure that I've prepped all of my gear. I have to change batteries. I have to dump the SD card. You know, it's like a lot of work. So it was just kind of amazing because she would be out and about and I'd be the one kind of like getting my shit together to like get out there. You know, um, usually it's the opposite. Like the, the the older person is like slower and sluggish, but in our dynamic, I'm always really impressed by my mom's uh, vitality. So that was a really wonderful trip for us. And I think we actually unexpectedly really inspired other people uh in terms of parent child dynamics
0: oh that's huge you know it's it's, you know i don't think i could survive a trip across the country with my mom i mean i've taken one and it's it didn't go well so to leave you know the continent and go to a place that you know not many people get the opportunity to go to i mean that's that's really a, a miraculous experience um and so uh so kind of back to like did when you're recording this how do you envision it um uh, playing into vibrations with your your music do you do kind of have that vision at the moment or do you just take it all back and process it as you're writing
1: i've been listening through all of the recordings that we got in antarctica i mean i i'm an ableton user i produce all my music in ableton and the, the possibilities in live 11 are just unreal and so Uh, Just this last week, I was working on designing a penguin synthesizer, which essentially took a bunch of samples of the penguins singing for me into my mic and playing it as an instrument. So like, you know, this kind of thing. And so I'm really excited to just be playing these beautiful sounds um, musically in my in my work. Uh, Some sounds I'll use more literally, whether it's like just the sound of the water um, being left alone as it and placed in the music. You know, my songs, Yellow Sea see me through, All have water sounds um, already in them. So this is a very natural progression. Uh, But at the same time, I also like to take nature samples and repurpose the raw audio material into things like a kick drum, a hi-hat, a snare hit, um, a synthesizer, as I described. So in that way, the audience wouldn't necessarily know that that sound came from nature. But I think that subliminally, it has a positive impact on the listener.
0: That's incredible. I love it. And uh, and are we looking at more of like a full length for this uh, this one or is this an EP to tie in with the other two? Like you exactly, mentioned? yeah. Vibrations closes
1: out the EP trio, and then the long form will follow from there.
0: Okay, so so let's go back to the beginning of the trio uh, back in 2016 when you did uh, Voices. Um, which, tell me about your process as you went into the studio to record those songs. I mean, there's a lot of power to that EP, and you put a lot, obviously, put a lot of yourself into it.
1: In 2015, I ran the London Marathon, and I
0: ran the London Marathon
1: bleeding freely on my period to combat the global stigma that women and trans folks and and girls face all around the world. And when I ran the marathon and crossed the finish line and sort of wrote this blog post about my experience, the story went completely viral. And all over the world, you know, the story created like a lot of polarizing reactions, but that's the very thing that kept the conversation going. And really asked a lot of folks, a lot, a, a lot of folks to ask themselves, yeah, why is it that uh, we are shaming such a natural part of of the human reproductive experience? This is just what everything, this is normal. This is what every you know any body that um, you know is a is a healthy bleeding body um, would be doing. And when that story went viral, I would be asked to go and speak at conferences at the UN, at TED, at Forbes, all these different experiences, and re- I realized that. Public speaking is one thing, but being able to take these concepts and write them as lyrics into my music is a whole other project. And I wanted to reach more people through the music and music is forever. Someone in Kenya can open up Spotify or whatever and, and stream my songs. Uh, so that was really the impetus for Voices, the first project I put out. You know, The underlying message of that album is, is own your voice. Own your voice, don't be afraid. You know, Step into your powers, go first. Be brave enough to share something that you don't think is right, because who knows? You might just change the world, and I've experienced that time and time again. So that was the impetus for the first project. Obviously, the more we make music and uh, share our ideas, the better we get at it. Vib- uh, Visions. I incorporated more um, collaborators. I prefer to, you know, make the beats and the ideas first on Ableton, and then bring it to folks who are better at, you know, programming. Uh, you know drums or adding synths that might be missing or re- re- rewriting the baseline, these kinds of things. Uh, and then we got the project done. And I think uh, for the first project, I did not have enough funding to do the music videos, but for the second project, I did. And we made award-winning music videos for, for Visions. Waiting For Me one best music video at South by Southwest film last year. I mean, they, wow. the Dirty Projectors, Mary J. Blige, like all these incredible our artists were in the same camp and we took home the best video award so you know visuals audio we get better and better uh, the more we do it gotta play the long game
0: yeah and and did you have a producer that helped you uh with the album
1: no i don't like to work that way i like to start as much of it on my own because i i think my music is like a time or anyone's music music is a time stamp of emotion so when I have a feeling, I just put down my ideas in Ableton in my home studio, I get it done, and then I'll bring on the collaborator who I think is right for that particular song. So the benefit of that is that I'm more in control of my own music and, and kind of leading the process. The negative of that is that all the songs you know, have, have a unifying theme because it's me, but they also definitely sound different because they're produced in different ways. Uh, so I think in that sense, I'm probably still honing in the process, but I prefer to collaborate with people on a need basis.
0: Yeah. And and That's so tell me about the question
1: it. and then call it uh, we'll call it for today.
0: Okay. Yeah, no no worries. Um so so let's talk about Bottle Rock because this ties into yeah. Bottle Rock, right? So um what do you envision for Bottle Rock? What does that look like for uh for you?
1: I couldn't be more excited about Bottle Rock, honestly. I there's so many things that Bottle Rock represents for me. Last year I played at Stern Grove Music Festival and On the last song, I saw this young boy dancing so freely. And I stopped the last song and I invited him onto the stage. And I told the audience, I said, whatever he does, you all have to do. And we turned the entire Stern grove into this goofy, amazing three minute dance party. And it was just such a goosebumps moment for all of us. And that little boy became everyone's hero. And off the back of that experience, The talent buyer for Bottle Rock was in my audience. And I was there signing vinyl after the Stern Grove show. And he came right up to me and he was like, Hey, I I book Bottle Rock. We love what you did. Arts Festival needs your voice and we'd love to have you. And it was that simple. And sometimes, you know, the the talent buyers, they always want to book off of Spotify streams and Buzz and social media and the labels and, you know, this and that. It felt really good to be booked off the quality and content of the music, like the work spoke for itself. It's kind of like in tech where they're like, let the tech speak for itself. You know, I felt that way and it felt good because that's how I think it should be. Good music should be booked for good festivals uh, rather than uh, only the, the on paper accolades. So that's one big reason why this festival matters. It felt like a really pure opportunity. Secondly, I've been wrapping up a master's in music science and technology at Stanford at the Center for Computer Research in Music and Acoustics. And May 27th is Bottle Rock. And then two weeks after June 12th is my graduation. So it also feels like this big kind of culminating uh, celebration of this rigorous degree that's supposed to be done in two years that I was able to complete in one. And then finally, it's Napa Valley, you know, it's music and culture and arts and wonderful people. And we have a daytime set, you know, kicking off the whole festival. And I really wanna leave the audience feeling like they're gonna step into their own purpose. They feel inspired, motivated, excited. They feel like they're seeing a project that's fresh, that's different. Um, And I'm excited to bring a full band to that show. Usually when we don't have enough of a budget, I'm playing the show solo, but this is a proper festival and, and I really wanted to make my mark. So hope to see you at my set anyone watching 2 p.m. on May 27th, Friday is my show, you know, come out, experience the Madam Gandhi project, and, uh, and I'm looking forward to more.
0: I, I like it, I like it, yeah, it's going to be a great festival, so many great bands, but, uh, but definitely a great way to kick it off, and, uh, and Karen, I want to thank you for taking the time today, and um, yeah, and look forward to seeing you out at Bottle Rock. Me too. This was awesome
1: uh, and, and much love to what you're doing. I appreciate you diving, uh,
0: you know, deeply with your, with your artists. That was the interview with Madam Gandhi here on Concert Pipeline. And that takes us to the final segment on the program, the music news. All right. Uh, I have a couple of stories to wind out the program today. Um, first up, being tied to Kiss. Uh, so uh, this is a, an interesting one because there's been some, you know, animosity and breakups and within the band of Quick Kiss. Right. Well, uh, Gene Simmons has offered a public invitation to original Kiss guitarist Ace Freely to perform with the group on their end of the road farewell tour, uh, and he says the invitation still stands. Um, and jump up on stage uh, with us for encores the fans would love it and the current kiss lineup sees guitarist tommy thayer perform using freely spaceman makeup and stage gear while longtime drummer eric singer appears in chris cat makeup and stage persona freely reunited with kiss for the first time in 17 years during a fall 2018 acoustic performance on kiss cruise 8 just two months before the Classic Ruck Group launched the Farewell Series in Vancouver in early uh, 2019. So fans might get lucky and get to see Ace um, on a, any particular uh, show on the KISS tour. That would be pretty cool, I'm sure. So it would be cool to see KISS one more time. I've seen them live only once with Aerosmith, probably around 2004, I wanna say. Uh, and, uh, and it was a really good show. I enjoyed their performance. Not as much Aerosmiths on that tour. It was Aerosmith's Honking on Bobo uh, album that they were uh, doing and the blues did not work well for them. They needed to stick to the hits. Um, All right. Uh, Rod Stewart is surprising pub goers uh, by pulling pints behind the bar. uh, And uh, this was this past weekend. And he, uh, he said, it's great to have uh, spare bartender Rod the Mod Stewart tonight. Oh, that, that sort of post that on the pub's social media channels along with a photo of the veteran musicians speaking to locals. Uh, Stewart, a super fan of Glasgow football team Celtic has been to see his teams draw with Rangers in the Old Firm Derby hours earlier along with Scottish singer-songwriter John McLaughlin. Uh, so I guess he just hopped behind the bar and started serving. Uh, it's pretty badass because the dude's probably 85. And uh, you know, apparently he's still got some cojones to, to get back there and just have some fun and support his team, right? All right. Um, uh, next story is about Limp Biscuit. Uh their show is canceled over possible chaos. Uh what they said was tonight's show cancellation was not our decision. There was a safety concern, and safety comes first. This was the second date of Lim Biscuit's Still Sucks tour. I like that they can poke fun at themselves because they know, you know, there probably aren't many Limp Bizkit fans out there. And, uh, and titling our show still sucks. Uh, We'll set that expectation right where it should be. Uh, And, uh, and so the chaos, let's talk about that, right? Uh, They were set to play, uh, but uh, on the 30th, but shortly before Doors, the gig was canceled Uh, and, uh, they followed up uh, with the po- their post by say, explaining, the promoters told us they were concerned there could be safety issue- a safety issue that could result in possible chaos and injuries resulting in the cancellation of tonight's show. Bummer, fans have since speculated that it's because the gig was going to be an all-seated affair. Apparently, Limp Bizkit fans don't like to sit. It's not really a seated show, right? Um, so following the news, support bands uh, Wargasm, and Scowl played a free entry show at the nearby Las Rosas with Olympus Bizkit taking to Instagram to reassure fans that, that following that show would still be um, going ahead. Uh, and so Fred Durst was uh, on for the opener, dressed in his new geezer look and singing dad vibes while the end of the set saw a stage invasion during break stuff. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe when people are invading the stage, when you're singing about breaking stuff, Maybe that has something to do with the chaos venues are worried about that, uh, in terms of uh, needing to replace and take care of their their, their things, right? Hard to tell. Uh, last year, Limp Biscuit canceled their limited last minute post-pandemic pop-up party edition tour over safety concerns. Really? So this isn't the first time? All right. Maybe something's got to change on the show, huh? Uh, Durst went on to say, we are all in this together and we all individually and as a whole have to make our best efforts to be as responsible and proactive as possible moving forward to combat and stop spreading COVID. I'm willing to do my part. Are you? Uh, All right. So they're touring North America for the uh, remainder of May. Uh, Get your tickets if you wanna see Limp Biscuit, you know, break stuff or something. Um, Okay, last story I have here is about Brian Jonestown massacre. They thanked police after a 40,000 pound of stolen gear is recovered. Uh, I use my gear to create music six days a week to feed my family and employ my friends. Uh, so the Portland police uh, were thanked by the Brian Jobs on Massacre for their excellent detective work. The uh, equipment was recovered. The theft was first reported on April 18th, <coughs> excuse me, with the incident alleged to have happened the night before. Thieves had made off with a variety of rare guitars and pedals taken from a trailer attached to the band's tour bus. It's always the worst when people break into their their trailers and stuff. Like bands don't have a shit ton of money to be able to replace their gear, so then they go to Kickstarter and other uh, places. Uh, I guess uh, I don't remember what the name of that that site is uh, where you can donate money. Um, not a Kickstarter, but there's you know the donate site. Why am I blanking? Anyway, I forget it, but you know what I'm talking about, and you're screaming it right now uh, in your cars or uh, YouTube. And uh, and I'm just just completely liking it. I'm gonna move on. Um, all right. Take, so the Brian Johnson Massacre's founder Anton Newcomb wrote. I honestly be, believe that together all of us gearheads can make these very hard uh, to sell. Let's find this shit and talk rewards. Um, so he posted a pictures of the equipment, uh, and he said, "And to the motherfuckers that stole my shit that I feed my family with, it will be." Uh, my hand that greets you when you die, you will burn, he continued. Despite the theft, the band managed to carry on with their tour of North America. And the following week, Portland police were clearing a homeless camp uh, that had been the site of a homicide, oh Jesus, uh, when a majority of the guitars uh, were discovered. Um, during the abatement, officers recovered five of six stolen doctor guitars and other equipment taken in an April 18th, 2022, theft from the Brian Jones Sound Massacre Band, was touring in Portland, police said in a statement. These guitars are reportedly from the 1960s and have enormous sentimental value and are not easily easily replaceable. Uh, And Newcomb said, uh, following after the discovery, we are all eternally grateful to the Portland Police Department for their help in finding the stolen equipment. It has been said that it has great sentimental value. However, I am not very sentimental. I use my gear to create music six days a week to feed my family and employ my friends. These are the tool of my craft, no different than a truck full of tools using construction or any other trade. And on Twitter, he added, I'm incredibly fortunate and blessed in so many ways. Let's spread that magic around and help people in need together. Uh, so and just one other note on Brian Jones, High They announced details of their 19th studio album earlier this month. They've been around for a minute making music. Uh, it's called Fire Doesn't Grow on Trees. It's going to arrive June 24th via Newcomes label, A Recordings. Um, and he says, a lot of the album is about the affirmation by just living. Uh, existentially, this time period has felt pretty dark. So it's about fighting the good fight. I'm uh, singing to empower other people. First of all, I'm getting whatever I need out of it, but I can see it as uh, something other people can identify with. Uh, so that is the story on Brian Jones on Massacre. I'm glad that they got the majority of their equipment back. Um, it just sucks when people take, thing, you know, things that aren't theirs, break things just to break things. You know, crime is a bitch. It sucks. I hate it. Um, and uh, and I'm glad they got their equipment back. So that is our show for today. Um, like I said, we have a lot coming up, a lot in the works in terms of what's coming around the the bend with concert pipeline. Um, I'm not even going to tease who's on the program next because we have so many things in the works right now. It could happen in any order. So. Uh, That is our show for today. Thank you for tuning in for all of us here at Concert Pipeline. I'm Steve Jones. I'll catch you next time.